I want to get to a classical concert soon, Doug. You did it. You that's it was a great description. A lot of them have been closed or everywhere I've been. Here the opera's closed. Like when I first got here, I was like, "Is this opera open?" I just signed me fucking up. I want to go to the opera. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't. I think it's it's a cool point you're making because the character seems to almost have this kind of Oriental thing that we talked about, or Orientalist mentality. But it seems like Bowles's life, there, it was an appreciation and a kind of celebration and a and a sort of um, cultural exchange, or maybe you would critique him and claim he was culturally appropriating. I don't know, but um, I don't know how that's treated amongst modern critics of like that period, because a lot of composers were getting melodies from the, the um, bush, so to speak, and then turning them into classical pieces. That was a common but strategy. I think that's what they've always done. You know, like uh, I would defend it too, Doug. Trust me, I'm going to defend it. I just want to say that I think there could be problematizations of that too in the current discourse by some thinkers. You know, um, um, you know, I'm totally 100 percent 20 100. Well, I'm just 000. thinking of like, yeah, uh, like Franz Liszt going off to the Hungarian countryside and bringing back folk memory or melodies. You know, like that's kind of the here, here's the folk melodies that. I'm going to, you know, you need the raw material to fashion. You run through your yeah. machine. Yeah. Well, his thing too is he actually went out into the uh, the villages and recorded the music and brought it back. You know, so um, and he, he like he, um, obviously he's not claiming it to be his music, right? Like, uh, so um, he was really instrumental in bringing this music forward to people. Yeah, and it's common with other. Copeland did a lot of that too, like Appalachian yeah. Spring. I think is part of that, um, and poets do it too. I mean, William Carlos Williams is famous for sitting on the bus and capturing the language of the people, and then throwing that in poems. And so, um, I'm certainly a fan of it. I just, I just, I do think that we have to read. I, I guess where I'm coming from is like in our current discursive landscape, Twitter. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss this sometimes this stuff gets dismissed as like wokeism or whatever you want to call it i do think there's good there some too that we can utilize but there is a popular critique of um you know what the west going into indigenous um maybe knowledge structures or you know nodes of knowledge and then use and then kind of reincorporating that or appropriating that into maybe a western mentality without full appreciation and I think that it's the kind of critique that it doesn't really matter what your intent is. People will claim that, you know, just by, we see this in the astrology world, okay? I mean, that's what I do. I'm an astrologer. I'm very involved in that community. And we're grappling with this problem of, you know, non-Western astrologies and how do they, how are they handled or treated amongst like Twitter, the Twitterverse, the English-speaking Twitterverse. And so I just know how dangerous like of a ground you can be on according to the current you know, take. And, um, and so anyhow, I just throwing this into the mix, not to say, not to really like take bowl, bowls out one way or the other, but just to, you know, kind of mention this here that, that like, let me put it this way. We're three, you know, so-called white Westerners. <laughs> I'm wondering how someone else on this call that wasn't in those categories might respond to this text and what they would be saying. That's kind of what I'm trying to do here. So. Well, so and like maybe. if if this was if this was really about the cultural interaction, like I think it would be different, but it really doesn't feel like that's like if you're reading this correctly, 
you could set this in, in in any you know alien landscape mm. you know yeah I, I agree too like including a drug trip or <laughs> anything like the alien yeah. landscape of your own mind yeah well so like yeah. i think they make similar things where like uh the squares accidentally stumble into the hood you know it's like or like they make mistakes in the big city, you know, and then I don't know. Yeah, Anywhere sure. where they're out of their like their own realm, where you know, like they understand, you know, like there's there's a certain order that they're existing under. And then they behave the same way in in a in a place where that order breaks down. Um, you know, it definitely is to their detriment. Their actions. Yeah, and it's, I think thematically, just as when when Snore brought that up at the beginning of the call, I was like, yes, because this is like a heart of darkness that's been adapted in so many different other stories and contexts. Like, what movie? What's the war movie? Apocalypse Now. Oh, and then I think mm. there's another one or two other movies that have basically taken this kind of larger theme and then set it in these other, these other contexts. And I, and I definitely feel that's present here. So, and it's worth mentioning. And then also we could explore the context he's chosen to put it in and kind of what that might say too. You know, I think they're both very useful ways to, to go about. Um, so my relationship with heart of darkness is so bizarre because um, I don't know that I've spent enough time with it per se but like uh what is the what is the the war movie that uses it basically as the what is it called apocalypse now yeah and so it's almost like some of those things literalize it too much and and the heart of darkness is this 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 alien other and and you yeah. lose yourself in them but then like Conrad, I think the heart of darkness is is ourself. You know, it's like we're the. Do you know what I'm saying there? Because um, it's yeah, on the one... the Thames or the Thames. Yeah, that's right. Like he's, so, he says that uh, London was the original heart of darkness, right? Because it was the it was the the Roman colonialists coming into the the savage land of of Britain. <laughs> It just shows how it's it's everywhere, really. Mm. But, but this, uh, with this, it's not so much that it's like um, like it's the cantina in Star Wars too. It's like the jumping off point to, mm -hmm. you know, it's like it, it could be anywhere. It's it's yeah, not yeah. the the foreignness that you know. It's, well, you're talking with that other guest about the uh, the Grail quest right like just going off into the forest without a path you know yeah uh, and that's i think that's what he wants to be doing that's what that's port's dream you know um that's any any he, he kind of feels uh held back i think maybe because of marriage and because of his background and because of tunner and like there's all these maybe excuses that he has you know um but that's it, really that's what he wants to be doing you know um, and I then, and then, and then with Kid, like this, the thing I said about before, where um, she's she's wondering about the the war between rationality and atavism um, in inside of herself, 
And I was just looking up atavism, you know, again, and it's like a tendency to revert to something ancient or ancestral, you know, so the, the, this deep primitivism that she has inside of herself, trying to suppress that, you know, um, her sense of the omens being everywhere. Yeah, the culture. See, this is, this is where I was kind of going, trying to go with it, too, that maybe the universal story here that could be applied anywhere is like leaving the comfort and shelter of the culture that you come up in and maybe the luxuries that you have there, the known, and that could be a marriage, right? And breaking out of that into an unknown. So maybe adventuring, you know, purging the known and entering an unknown and as a kind of meta theme that you could set this story in anywhere, you could, and, and, but with relationships as maybe a part of that. And, yeah. You know, no, sex, I, I, right? Totally agree with you that it has to be like in in, in a way what you said about uh, North Africa. It almost has to be North Africa for for bulls. Um, so the setting, yeah, crucially important too. You know, um, so it's yeah, univer maybe. universal and and particular at the same time. Maybe we could set it in an art like context, like maybe a couple. One is anti-vax. One is kind of on the fence, and they go into like an anti-vax colony. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm ready to, ready, and they have to kind of let go of the medical. You know, you know. I'm just, I'm just. One ends up dying. No, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> um, you know, I do think that's a part of the theme that, that the medical side. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before we got on, but just. You know, as you're traveling in a global pandemic, whatever you think about that, you know, that that phrasing noun phrase, we could question that. But, you know, you how do you get health treatment? Like people have asked asked me, I talked to a friend last week and for I hadn't talked to him in a long time. He goes, so did you get vaccinated? You know, that was his first question. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, when you go to the embassy website, um, I've had to do that every time I've gone into a new country. They like a bunch of the writing there is about what what hospitals what vaccines are available how you can get them you know that's a huge part of this current the medical travel issues you know medical 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 treatment when traveling is a big issue in our current moment so like it, the movie went fast but like those scenes were kind of one after another where he descends and they're kind of running around trying to find a hospital or find the healing that they need um that might be thematically to like some that theme here too. Like if we universalize it, like what happens if you're having physical breakdowns and you can't treat it, you know, that's the prison of the body. And like when you describe um, that final release, the repose, I think that's part of this too, like at a very meta level, we're kind of encased in the shelter of the physical body and the, and the density of the incarnation, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the unknown that comes if we sort of release into something else. You know, what is that unknown? You know, mm -hmm. it's good. Yeah, it, it does. The, the book does explicitly mention that that uh, Port didn't get any of his shots, you know, <laughs> neglected to get his shots, probably on purpose, you know. <laughs> um, and that's that's part of that's part of it, you know. When they're at that town, they're not able to go into the, the place where they need to go because, okay, so I think. Maybe they're, I, don't, I, I can't keep track of all the different names, but. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah. So they were, yeah. Um, there was an epidemic going on. They, she wouldn't let her into the hotel. You know, it's yeah, like. Yeah, there was meningitis at that place. Like, um, 
like they've exposed themselves to all kinds of stuff and then um somehow you know she found oh yeah they they got on the truck and went farther like they went to the next place yeah to the to the to to the uh the uh french military uh station Uh, i forgot all about that doug that's perfect that's like even more perfectly applicable like the medical rules quarantines you can't come in here wow this is really a synchronistic novel i think yeah that's right she she gets some she she, yeah she can't even get into the hotel Uh, well, how about how about this doug like uh or or both of you like did, did you guys get a sense of when he actually picked up typhoid like when did he uh where do you think he got it from? Was it that first, like, here the trouble begins? Yeah, that's kind of my thought, too, like, searching into it. Like, because uh, that's when he first, like, right after that, he first talks about his, he has stomach indigestion. And there's this unlocatable pain in his stomach. And it's just briefly mentioned. But that's it. It's one thing. Bowles does really well as he subtly interweaves all these kind of foreshadowing into his uh, into his books, and sometimes sometimes the action slips by in just one sentence, and it's really hard to catch. But that's yeah, seems to be it. Like when maybe with her, I was reading into to typhoid, and sometimes it's like COVID too. Um, people carry it without symptoms. Um, and, and, and how it, do you transmit it? Uh, sex is that? Could that be how one would get it, or sexual? I, I guess that's that's one thing I didn't look up, but um, I'm sure you could. Like, uh, uh, it, it's usually through the through through shit, right? Through blood or shit, like those two things. Oh, um, but remember the sex scene? There is a bedpan next to the bed, and there and I think in the novel they describe the bedpan too, and he's like, it's it's like a mix of brown water. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. in this in the movie, I remember seeing that. I was like, "So that's the bedpan." It's like they're gonna make love, and if they have to go to the toilet, they just excuse me, like right in the same room, you know. Mm. Um, and it looked like it even had some feces in that bedpan in the movie. Oh, oh, okay. So I'm just looking this up. It says sexual transmission of typhoid is rare and associated with penile, anal, or oral anal rather than vaginal sex. Okay, interesting. That's interesting too. Like, okay, so here's a weird difference too on this topic is that, uh, um, so in the book, Kit and Port are talking about the reconciliation, right? Um, this sort of reconciliation that they they're going to have, you know, on on both sides they're thinking about this in the in the in the background, and you get the sense that it's sexual, you know, like it's like they they've been married for ten years, or they're, it's pretty explicit about that ten years. But um, it seems like sexual relations have drifted off. Whereas in the movie, it, you, you watch them having sex on the side of the hill. And, and I, I thought that was kind of wrong. You know, it's, it, they, the movie got that part wrong. Um, but it's blocked a, sex. It, it's, quickly, it's blocked. My sense of watching it was like they try and they can't really consummate it. And then it's yeah, 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 that's, and that's right. It, I felt it was, that that was real emblematic of the great love. So he brought her here. This is what I wanted to show you. And then they, they try to kind of do this this sexual act. And that's still, it didn't solve the problem. 
it didn't right. work yeah yeah it so i think work. maybe maybe you're right like that's the way they, they have to try to portray that on film um but, I, I, in, but yeah, yeah. reading the reading the uh the novel it's it's almost i started to think back with uh um leopold bloom and his wife you know that, that they haven't had sexual normal sexual relations um in years and years since their since their their child died um so I had maybe maybe that's maybe that's so there's a suggestion even in Ulysses is that like they have had sexual relations but it it's not normal sexual relations it's not vaginal sex it's possibly anal sex or otherwise um, so I wonder if there is a tie like that with this yeah it's interesting um, so you get, you, yeah, there's no sense of what happens with that particular uh, prostitute at the beginning, but, but yeah, then that's a, yeah, that's an oh, ominous no, I was just scene. gonna say yeah. it is really ominous, you know, like it's it uh, cuts too, like that's the thing, and I'm sorry, just like I just when I wanted to say this earlier, but he's climbing the ladder and then his foot gets grabbed and then it cuts. Oh yeah, so okay. we don't know so, if he shook it free or if they ripped oh, it back no, down. This and is, the book's this is the a, same. Yeah. This is a crucial point. Yeah, that thanks. That that point is like, I I think that's huge. You know, because what happens in the book? I noticed they cut that in the movie. What happens in the book is that he gets to the top of that rickety iron staircase, and there's a boulder right next to the top of the stairs, and he hurls down the boulder down the stairs presumably hitting and maiming or killing the people who are who are grabbing at him you know like it uh and and this comes back like it, you can tell that sort of haunts him because it comes back in his fever dream he has his vision of of going up this uh the same rickety iron staircase and then the boulder falls on him and then he has this vision of the uh, the the op- the open sky you know it's like uh wow. um so it's like it, I wondered about that too. Is that there's this deep sense of guilt of what he had done there, and it, it's hard. It's not talked about up until it comes up again. All these repressed feelings come up again in his in his fever um, nightmares. That's so yeah, that, that's a that's, that's a great point. Like that, yeah, that it was cut in the film. But when he appears, he looks completely disheveled, like he yeah. was fighting, and. So the, I think the movie leaving that out, it does capture energetically in a way that there was something more intense that happened. But yeah, this that boulder, I forgot about that. That's really, and then it comes back in the fever dream. So there must be something there that uh, sounds like really important to it all. Um, and maybe well, that I think hubris. he like slept in the bushes somewhere too. Like um, before, so it, before he came, yeah, he, he gets lost, you know. So I, I think he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't come back in until the early morning. Um, the train, they started drinking champagne, but she gets lost on the train and kind of ends up in steerage in the rain somehow. And it, through all this myriad of weird, she calls them weird native people, and like she, uh, this guy whose nose is cut off looks like the looks like the uh the face of a lion she thinks or something the ugliest person she's ever seen you know it's it it's really a foreshadowing of everything that happens at the end of the book you know um, well but, i had forgotten so the the little guy the soldier who brings him to marina the prostitute 
he tells him the whole story about these three girls who want to have tea in the Sahara, right? Yeah, and that's uh, the name yeah. of the that's the name of the first book. Foreshadowing and, the bowls. Yeah. Foreshadowing, yeah. So that, yeah, all three of them are dead. So, so yeah, so yeah, that's a key point. So the uh, there's three books within this book. One is Tea in the Sahara, and then the next one is The Earth's Sharp Edge which is based on a vision that she has in a bus of the earth being kind of um, just this plateau, like a table, and then the moon kind of falling off the edges of the earth. And then she has a vision of, of she's really being trans, or they are being transported to this other world in between the earth and the moon. And this, this world is perfectly um, cube, <laughs> cube-like. It kind of reminds me of Marc Leclerc. Um, but... Uh, and then, yeah, so this idea falling off the, the edge of the earth. And then the third book is the sky. So where do you fall off into the sky, you know? Um, yeah, even in this... Then, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no. I, no I just say, I'm reading, I'm reading this passage now where he gets the boulder. And it's like, it's even in this passage. So this sentence, this is how good the writing is. He says, at the top he turned and seizing a boulder he could not lift. He did lift it. And he hurled it down the stairs staircase. So that tells you right away it's massively heavy and can probably damage people, yeah, right? Yeah. By adding that clause. And then he says here later, where does he say here? Um, 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 where did there was something I wanted? To, oh, then he climbs up and he gets to this place. And he says he cut back inside the wall in the direction from which he had just come and hurried, hurried painting, panting and hurried painting up a gradual side hill studded with the flat stone beds which are muslim tombstones so mm. it implies there in that same paragraph death and stones after he just hurled it down you know and there is a kind of just i mean we don't know what happened there but um sweet so yeah here's the uh in the movie he, he pays her like right so the reason why there was a problem is because she tries to steal the wallet after she was paid. But in the book, like he was tired, he wanted he wanted his services rendered, and and then she's like, "All right, you get out of here, little guy." And then, um, she tried to steal the wallet. It, that's why I didn't I didn't know if there was sex because it seemed like the lights go out and. And the dogs barking and stuff, and it's like I, I, you know, I just don't know. Well, I, I think for sure there was, because it, it's like a, there's kind of a balance between him being with her, and then later, Kit being with Tunner. You know, um, I think there, there's yeah. a there's a direct balance there. But th this is the, uh, this is a quote from his his vision. Um, so he's saying, "Too late." There was only the endless black wall rising ahead of him, the rickety iron staircase he was obliged to take, knowing that above, at the top, they were waiting with the boulder poised, ready to hurl it when he came near enough. And as he got close to the top, it would come hurtling down at him, striking him with the weight of the entire world. He cried out again as it hit, holding his hands over his abdomen to protect his gape, the gaping hole there. He ceased imagining and laid still beneath the rubble, the pain could not go on. He opened his eyes, shut his eyes, and saw the thin sky stretched across to protect him. Slowly the split would occur. The sky draw back. 
and he would see what he never doubted lay behind advanced upon him with the speed of a million winds. His cry was a separate thing beside him in the desert. It went on and on. So, so in, in this thing, he's, he's, he's the one getting the stone thrown at him, the boulder thrown at him. Um, so wow. again, the, 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 the image for this, I, I think of uh, Sisyphus, right? Um, and then if he, if Bowles is coming from the existentialist tradition, you have uh, Camus talking about the, the myth of Sisyphus um, and the ramifications of that myth. Yeah, that's powerful. And there's a darkness there to go back to this idea of a dark end path. I mean, we're talking about like retribution, you know, almost like a punishment for his his um, carelessness and the danger he embraced at the expense of locals in a way. I kind of get that attitude. It's like, I don't care who I have to step on. I'm going into what I need to find. And these locals are just, you know, I'm superior to them anyway, in a way, you know. And I think there's a certain retributive feature here that I'm hearing in that passage. It's almost like there's a repenting that's happening or a, a kind of acknowledgement of the, the harm and a willingness to accept the consequences, you know, something yeah. like this. And that's it powerful. Definitely, there's, there's this like the this, like this sort of dark or primitive magic throughout the entire book where like one thing like I was saying directly leads to another thing one one thing happens and it has to be accounted for in in the future by another action like um so so uh for example um when port finds out that he could take a ride with the lyles and he wants kit to come with him and then kit says oh what about tunner and then he's like and she decides to take the train with tunner and then and then uh Port basically curses the, the, the train ride and says, well, I, I hope there is a crash. And he knows that she's thinking of the dream that he told before. And, then, and so she's terrified of taking the train. She doesn't like the train anyways. She's terrified of taking the train. And then um, Tunner shows up with a whole bunch of uh, champagne. And then, and then it's like uh, she's saying she knew that the champagne would be the magic that would allow her to get beyond uh, Port's curse, and it does. They don't have a they don't have a crash, but then she ends up sleeping with Tunner, and then at that point she realizes that it has only it, it stopped the crash, but it is it is only uh, put off this disaster until later, and because of this further transgression, the the disaster is even going to be worse, um, and then that that ends up being uh, Port's death. Right, but uh, but Port brings on his own death from his thoughts of Kit being unfaithful with Tunner before he meets the prostitute. <laughs> you know, so she's like bang, bang, bang. This whole series of weird kind of magical beliefs that they have, you know, like this, um, and it continues all the way to the end of the book. Reminded me of Eyes Wide Shut. And Bill is out walking the streets, that initial walk, and like then he meets the prostitute and goes mm. into her apartment. It's there was a feel of that of just mm. kind of like out to like because he's angry, he fights with Alice. There's a fight, then he believes, 
and um, is kind of walking the streets alone, like out looking for action as a way to sort of get back and treat his jealousy. You know, I know it's a little bit different, but it's just those sequences. I think there's some matching there. Uh, yeah, I think there's a match there too. Like it, in the, that movie is all about a certain like a progression of magic too. I'd, I'd say. Yeah, and it, and it there's a happier ending, but he's certainly flirting with death. You know, mm. um, Bill is flirting with death in that movie, and it could you could just as easily see maybe he gets killed, or then it's Alice's story. That's an interesting take. Like you could kind of redo Eyes Wide Shut with the sheltering sky, kind of some of the plot structure. Mm. And Alice then becomes a slave and, you know, then has to break free. <laughs> and yeah, how are you guys doing? Um, it's 1230. It's probably time for me to go to bed. Cool, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shower, well, get, get into my day here. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Any thoughts or? Well, we should let, yeah, Doug, any uh, final thoughts before you drift off or? <laughs> well, <laughs> into the black star. So here's the funny. There is no audio at all out in the world for Paul Bowles. Just none. And it's amazing because if I go back, um, Jennifer Conley originally recorded this book for Audible, and I had it in my in my wish list from. I don't know, 2011 or 2012. Like, it's one that I knew that I wanted, you know, it's like, oh, this is interesting. You know, it's Jennifer Connelly. That's Sinky. And it's it's this book that, uh, you know, I haven't read. And because I first read it in either, it must have been 92 or 93, somewhere in there. Um, but like I was telling Zanor, the only memory of it that I had was the Lyles. That's the only thing that stuck with me. And I definitely didn't ever see the film. Um, uh, I don't know why I was telling you guys that. <laughs> I was telling you that because... No, no audio book. Oh, no audio book. And so I actually read this book. And, you know, like I always have the books for these. And I'm, I read portions of them, but I listen to the books is how because I just have more listening time than I do reading time in my in my day, in my life. And so this was really interesting. And so I feel like with with listening, it's easy for me to listen to it twice before we speak about it, and I get a deeper understanding. Um, but there was, I mean, I, I still feel like I was in the world you know, even though my reading was disjointed and it took me a long time to get through it, I feel like. I mean, so like um, the I was telling Zanora also, SJ, that I had my original bookmark was in the book from when I read it back in the early 90s. And the last mark was kind of kind of towards the end when it gets really gripping. And I could see that like I I definitely finished the book from that point and all in one sitting, you know, it was like from 228 to 330 or something. Um, just because the last bit is really kind of intense. You're like really with her as she's trying to break out of this newly devised prison there at the, you know, the, 
her new camel driving husband. Um, <laughs> so this this book club experience has been really different as far as as that goes for for me. Um, but then the interesting thing for me is like for some reason I want to either stay in that post war time period. So like there's something that feels right about that and so it's like i went looking and uh i think catcher in the rye takes place in 1949 i think all the pretty horses takes place in 1949 but i also for some reason want to be like um the uh leaves of grass not leaves of grass house of leaves it it was taking place somewhere in the 90s and there's something about that that i i like to hang out in that space as well so overstory not overstory underworld was also you know in the i think it was the later 90s um but anyway um i don't know it it seems like uh in terms of like the next book i don't know so i'm i'm so curious about Jane, Jane's one novel, it's called Two Serious Ladies. I think I, I have to read it no matter what, just because she had such a following by so many different writers, Truman Capote, Tennessee Williams, they really thought very highly of what she did in that. Yeah, she's um, she has a reputation of being even a better writer than, than Paul Bowles. Um, but I have, yeah, I haven't read her stuff either. But then there's a lady who did both their bios, and she's still alive. And it's like, well, I probably need to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, another choice would be uh, Naked Lunch. It's a connection, direct connection there. Yeah, yeah I, I was... I've read that years ago. But yeah, that's an yeah. interesting book. That's a, that's a kind of a strange book, for sure. Very uh, um, Ulysses um I think style, um, kind of nonsensical, you know, there, I think there'd be a lot of that kind of interpretation uh, going on, you know, what is this, what's he saying? What do these phrases mean? Trying to kind of pull it together in that way. Surrealism in a sense. Um, I'm trying to think of what else there, Oh, the 1990s movies. I mean, do you have that direct connection with what we discovered earlier on the call? These movies mm -hmm. came out like late eighties, early nineties, early to midnight, you know, mid nineties. So there's something there, I think. Um, and when we look at that time, it's kind of like the, the pre, it's almost like the end of that empire. You can almost say like post-World War II to 9-11 is a whole world that once 9-11 hits and then we get the rise of the internet and social media, was, we're kicked was, into this, what we're in yeah, now. The, uh, oh, so I, was his name Fukuyama who said at the end of history but I think that was after the fall of the Berlin Wall but before like I don't remember when they declared history was over it was mm -hmm. right before 9-11 yeah that was in the Technosis, um, uh, McKenna, late 80s kind of, like late 80s uh, uh, yeah, uh, or early 90s like what you said um, after the fall of uh, the Berlin Wall and then the Soviet uh, Empire so called well, so my wife was watching The Big Lebowski the other night, and I was trying to sleep, but I couldn't not have it playing in my head in the other room because it's just it was too loud. And it's just like 
it's like, oh man, that is such a perfect movie. But it was, it came out in 98, but it's happening in 1991. You know, so <laughs> I want a time That's machine. Sure. I want to spend time in the early 90s. Yeah. It's like a transition. Like, I feel like the late 40s, early 50s is sort of a transition. And that 90s has a, a big flavor of that, those transition years, you know, mm -hmm. kind of the end and in, and and the end of the the the, the dying of that of that uh, pre-internet kind of global American thing, you know, empire. Yeah. Sort of. yeah, it's a good point. It's like they're they're both kind of failed opportunities in one way, like for humanity, maybe not for the elite. You know, it's like a, in 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 both times they could have like especially the '90s when the the Cold War was finished. Like it, there was such a an optimism that that things things could really change, you know? Um, and then, uh, and then it all came tumbling down at nine 11, you know, like, uh, um, but same thing, I, maybe not as much in the, in the 1950s, you know, that's sort of optimism, but it, it kind of came out with the sixties potentially. Yeah. And I, just to say it for some people like in Albania, that's one of the things I really love about it. It's like, I'm living in a post that it's like, they took advantage of that opportunity. You know, mm -hmm. um, and they didn't integrate right in with the EU. Um, and I've been telling the people I meet here, like, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and some of them are like, yeah, we don't want to do it. We want to kind of stay outside of the system. And that's the whole like the thing about the Balkans. I will say, every country you're in, there is a sense of this kind of freedom from the Western dichotomy of the you know the powers that be and their narratives of the big bad enemies. And they never really went along with that in the Western Balkans. You know, Yugoslavia was part of the non-aligned group. Um, and so you do get a sense of like, this is a post-Cold uh, War, post-communist society where there's um, these freedoms are kind of quite celebrated and appreciated in a, in a way that is part of what I like about it. But no, I agree with you in terms of the global structure and Americanism and like if coming into liberalism and really embracing like the full promise of liberal values as opposed to the neoliberal, and I'm just throwing nouns here. I'm not saying these are the most accurate nouns, but like a neoliberal kind of feudal wasteland, <laughs> you know, like that seems to be the way that we went, or at least, you know, there's a flavor of that. And I, I, I yeah, thinking about those opportunities of the 90s, uh, people, there's people that talk about how um, the 90s were the last great, all the dystopias that came out, the film, mm -hmm. the films that were made, um, that has come true. You know, those were warnings and we didn't heed the warnings. And now we're living in like an 80s or 90s sci-fi dystopia. You know, <laughs> not sure I believe that fully, but like uh, you think about things like Blade Runner and the corporate, it's like a corporate governance structure with those corporations being so powerful. It feels like with the Silicon Valley power and the way the internet became more controlled and that there's just, there has been a pivot in that way. Um, with the internet being less free maybe than it ever has been. And I, I'm making claims here. I, these are all little debates we could have, and I don't want to say I've cited one way or the other. I'm just kind of painting with a broad brush. So, Well, but there's, um, a, but there's a place just to, these, these will be my final thoughts. Okay. There's a place here though. You see for this artist, the beatnik artist, the, the whether that's Bowles in the, in the left-hand path or Miller in the right-hand path, these, I think, are the interesting questions that our generation and the generations that are coming of age now will have to grapple with. How can we body the art spirit 
the, the kind of freedom to explore, the willingness to go in and pierce that sheltering sky and like live on that 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 edge, you know, that kind of creative edge and that kind of, uh, you know, just the edge of life. You know, how are we going to do that? And I do think there is it's being done. It will continue to be done. It'll always be done unless we get the mRNA. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> uh, uh, but you see what I'm saying? I think that's that's with our age. That's why how this novel and these basket these these writers in the 20th century. That's why they're so inspiring to me because they did their version of that in their time. You know, um, so um, I'm pumped that we read this. Thanks for inviting me and. Um, yeah, it's exciting to just be engaging with you guys and, and asking some of these questions. So, well, I think I'm gonna I put it back on my bedside table. I'm gonna just start keep reading. I think for the time being, maybe I'll finish keep, it. Maybe uh, I don't know. We'll see. Keep. Um, uh, you didn't. You didn't finish reading it. Uh, no, no, no. I did. I, I'm. I'm saying. Oh, I'm gonna, again. I'm gonna start over. Right on. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's funny because when I first started, I didn't know if I I liked the very opening scene of him sitting there, like trying to, but it makes so much more sense if you read the very first scene. After you have the context of the whole book, because it's all about him trying to wake up and figure out, you know, he's coming into his consciousness. Yeah, in in the sense of deep sadness, you know. Um, yeah, which I thought was great. I I love I I love really that uh, first scene in the movie where he he's just lying in bed and his eyes open like that. I think his face is upside down on the screen. Um, isn't isn't that uh, similar to the first Beautiful. scene in Apocalypse Now? Is is that uh, isn't there a scene like that where uh, where he wakes up? Same thing yeah. where it's focused on yeah. his face and his eyes come open. Is that? And he punches the mirror, Willard. I think he's yeah. There, Willard, like the yeah. fan is going too. And the fan is going. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that is that is that how it opens with his shot in his face with his eyes coming open? I think maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I need to check that again. Yeah. Um, By the way, when I read that, I was like, "This is like what they tell you in every writing class to so don't do." Like he woke up. Like that's the beginning. Of that. Well, that's what I yeah. thought yeah. too. It's like this feels kind of <laughs> trite. What is he was coming back to being? He didn't know where he was, right? But yeah, I like it. I mean, this guy, the the prose are so profound, and you know, just the little that you we've read and we talked about here it makes me want to go back because it seems like every sentence and every paragraph is relevant. I mean, we could pick mm -hmm. out sentences and phrases and images and fit them into this conversation. It's the best writing is, right? Just, yeah, yeah. Just jam-packed like that. But he no, got I, an I, advance. They they paid him to write the book before he wrote it. Doubleday did. And then when he came back with the book, they they like, well, this isn't a book. We want our money huh. back. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, uh, somebody liked it, but they had already done their books for the year and they're like, well, we can't make any money on this. And so we can only print like 3,500 copies instead of 10,000 to start with so that we show a loss. Yeah. I was just, I was also reading on the, uh, the wiki page just, just now when you mentioned that, that he, he put out some early poetry in, um, transition magazine. And Transition is an avant-garde magazine that 
first serialized uh, Finnegan's Wake when it was just a uh, work in progress. But it's also the magazine that appears in Recognitions, like the, the one, the scene in Paris, the first scene in Paris where there's a, there's a woman reading a copy of Transition right there. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think it's amazing the, the connections between all these books that we've been doing. And it, it, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, is um, Journey to the Center of the Night, or Journey to the End of the Night, yeah. Um, I've read that. Yeah. Did you guys read not that read too. that? Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, uh, so that I maybe it's the same thing. Is that is that what happens? Um, is that the Black Star as well? You know, like uh, when the sheltering sky is finished, the journey to the center, the the journey to the end of the night. You know. Um, yeah. That book's interesting because it's more of a. Uh, I don't know. It's more of a kind of dark comedy in a sense. Uh huh. It's been a long time, but I just remember like the violence and the doctor and there's like trickery and a gun, I think. And it sort of has more of a, it's almost like, yeah, you're, it's almost like a parody on some kind of uh, detective novel or I, it, it, my memory is very, very loose. And of course, I just know about the anti-Semitism. Uh, that's the other big thing with the writer. That's kind of what he's known for these days. But like 20 years ago. I think I read it maybe around 20 years ago when you there was no discussion of like this is an anti-Semitic writer, like it was actually part of just like the literary tradition and was celebrated. This is a great French, you know, and now it's hard to escape that context. So I find that to be interesting about it as well. Yeah. What's his name? Oh, let me just type it in here. Um, uh, Celine. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know this is this might this i wonder how it makes me think about how these writers um there's graveyards you know i mean like in 100 years people may might not even talk about him ever you know i mean and how the life of a writer how a, a book gets celebrated and then goes goes away and you know people do talk about that you can type in like most popular novel 1910 it's probably a list of people we've never read or heard of um they didn't live on, you know. They went to the they went to the end to the black star <laughs> yeah. of of irrelevancy. Like, uh, um, yeah, he ends up being another huge influence on the beats, along with um, along with Paul Bowles and and Miller. Um, um, you, you're mentioning Gaddis reminded me. So, uh, I I read Stephen Moore's bio on Gaddis and it seemed like I think I picked up this fact there but so Gaddis had hope when he wrote the recognitions like there was you know there was hope it wasn't just negative and the, I think it was the same in JR where you know the desired outcome is to try and you know fix a broken world but then I think in his last two I think he has two beyond that there, there's no hope anymore. I mean, they're still r very good, but um, it's ju it's just completely bleak as far as you know, like coming to terms with you know what it is, America, and how it it <laughs> it sucks. You know, like mm. there's there's no changing the suck. Whereas the first two books, I think, you know, that was. You know, you know. So we were talking about the New York and the uh, the rat race. You know, like 
that whole thing and and how the the phoniness and the you know just the the surface of the situation just how empty everything was and and trying to like find authenticity um mm. So I'd be I'd be curious because like, so that's the interesting thing I think you end up reading their whole body of work and when I was talking to Stephen Moore it seems like a lot of or in any of these you know serious readers you know they they find someone and they read everything they've done could we have the same conversation on all the Paul Bowles books do you think or is this one special and unique and that's why it's the one that people read. Um. I I would think that there's similar themes going through all those books. Um, like it, now, I want to go back and read the rest of his books again, um, and I've got his short stories here too, which I haven't read yet. Um, but the uh, the book I would want to read again after this one is is Let It Come Down, which uh, I just remember it being, like I said, even more kind of devastating. But yeah, similar similar story of a, uh, an American tourist or traveler who goes to North Africa and then experiences, um, yeah, both the sort of native society and expat community and in his own his own inner weirdness, you know. And uh, and there's scenes of uh, him taking majun, which is always nice. <laughs> I just picked up the new Murakami short stories. Uh, it, I finally, I'll be here long enough where I can hold up some physical books. And um, I know we read 1Q84 at one point, Doug. Yeah. But um, these are like called first person singular. So I'm, I think they're all written in first per person singular. But um, I'm going to get back into that. He's kind of an omen, omen style writer with all those omens that were in that 1Q84 book. Um, it's kind of a oh, book about omens as well. Mm. Uh, Richard Powers is coming to Boise next year mm. for a talk. I think I, I'm going to have to sign a, sign a sync book or something. <laughs> send, send, <laughs> send, him, <laughs> send him a recording of our, our talk. Our talk, yeah. Yeah. The, right, he's the, 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 the book about the trees. Is that the book is about that, the um, trees? Yeah. yeah. Zanara was joking for a long time that that was the book that broke the club. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually more relevant. I mean, I was thinking about that talk it's a, a few times, like the last couple of years or since COVID, right? Because, you know, the whole idea of the green, and this is the whole topic, we don't even have to get in, into it, but it came up that Agenda 2030, I think, came up in that talk with like, and that's become more popularized in the discourse, you know, the alternative sort of conspiracy, so-called conspiracy discourse. People saying, "Well, now, COVID, we're, he we're we're now accelerating into these changes that are going to be made according to the Agenda 2030 plan." So, anyhow, there's talk of like lockdowns for climate change now that have been out amongst um, certain publications. So, like this, that lockdown culture will just be transitioned easily into. Um, a different uh, justification for lockdown. So it's a whole bat can of worms <laughs> that I think. And I and to go back, actually, what you were saying at the beginning here or earlier, Doug, about like Trump and the politics and the trajectory of sync book, you know, maybe that 
that that's part of it. That's not necessarily Trumpism per se, but I think this idea of conspiracy. I think that was just a bookmark. Yeah, like you know, so, this, like we read Gaddis at the beginning of his administration, and then we, you know, we just went into this whole. I mean, we all did the the four years of Trump, and then it just seemed like something ended when when he left office, and we did Gaddis yeah. at the same time. That's yeah. kind of what I I, uh, I brought a Bowie too, like David Bowie. Like there's always this this kind of this joke around the web of that's after after Bowie died, that's when things went to shit. You know, <laughs> like he, he goes into the Black Star, and then and then it, this all happens. Oh. Yeah, it was a weird time, and that was a time around the Sync Book Boise Spring Sync, and that was a whole magical working that still reverberates in my life. You know, so that year, 2016. And then I think Bowie dies in 2016 or 20, no, 2017. No, he dies no, in 2016. It, it was 2016, uh, January. January 2016, yeah. And so um, it did. It was kind of a, a propulsion into a highly stranger world. That's even with the Keck and all of that stuff. You know, the, <laughs> the memeism. There was the rise. Yeah, the meme, meme magic, which, like Doug, you were saying, directly, uh, directly sort of transitions into the QAnon stuff. And then if you go back further, you can, yeah, there's a direct link between the synchro mysticism and, and uh, the meme magic, even according to um, Red Ice Creations. <laughs> you know, there's that, oh, yeah. there's that, there's that uh, um, uh, interview they had about uh, relating meme magic and synchro mysticism. Oh, it's a direct link. I mean, that original article that went through all the syncs around Keck it read like an old sync blog post, like from the old blogger days. Like you could go to this post and it was just like, you, it was like reading to get Katza's website or something, <laughs> you know? And so it's, um, it's a real strain. And I think we're still dealing with meme magic ultimately, because now it's, it's core, it's a power of the meme. The corporations have figured it out. And basically you turn on any kind of social media, Twitter is just meme magic. I mean, every fucking mm -hmm. whole feed is just constant meme magic. Of all kinds and now you've got TikTok, that kind of dancing memeing and it's like that whole i feel like it has to do with something like a medium uh and the, is the message um that we entered into a new technological language and that we was did, part of that i feel like we're trapped in in the looking glass like there's something that the technique technologies did for us but now they're killing us. I don't know. Maybe that's too much, but <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I would agree, Doug. So the the thing about the '90s was that like we weren't connected necessarily. I mean, we we could be connected, but the technologies weren't all encompassing. You, mm -hmm. you know, where like now your phone is always there, and like if. I mean, it's so convenient. Hey, Siri, when did David Bowie die? You know, and then she says, oh, David Bowie died January 10th, 2016, right? <laughs> but just yeah. to be out of, I guess, so we do that sometimes when we go, like, camping. You know, it's like, oh, there's no signal. Like, that's the one time when you're disconnected from the world, as it were. Absolutely. 
Yeah, uh, this is a big, big, big deal. And I, I think I've been linking it lately, thinking about it like it's the nervous system because the phones have figured out a way. There's like a parasitic algorithm that, that has tapped into our nervous system. And then it feeds off of it to for the money, for the big tech, right? The ads and everything. And it's so powerful. It's so good at what it does to get into our nervous system that then we grab the phone and we're on it a lot. I mean, a lot of my daily struggles are get off the fucking phone, FJ. Mm -hmm. Go do your mm -hmm. fucking work. Get off the fucking, you know, it's like a constant <laughs> struggle. And I think for a lot of people, that's how it is. But I, I can't blame myself. I mean, these are like expert dopamine delivery systems that yeah, have been definitely. continually refined, you know, and so... It's a strange, strange, you know, this is part of the art. What does the artist do against like, what would Miller do? What, what is the artist do? How do we, like, how do you make art in this world? What does it look like? Know. It's uh... like, like, so we're reading about like the, so Paul Bowles is just hanging out with some of the coolest people ever. Oh, I just, just got on a boat and went and met this person, you know, for fun. Right. It's like, okay, well, let's say we are those people. What are we doing? <laughs> Are we so doing anything write, cool? Trying to produce things like Snore. Congratulations, time to talk to you. You've got your book published. I mean, that's I think a big oh, yeah, part of it is producing writing or producing it, and then trying to get it oh, out sure. there. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm still. I'm, I'm. I'm. I still don't have a phone. You know, like a smartphone. Um, I. But I spend too much time on the internet, anyways. You know. Uh, and that's the that's the reason I don't have a smartphone. But I'm I'm afraid at one point I'll have to get one, you know, um, because it just it everything is just getting more and more um, centered on the internet, you know. Like a um, so I've been, I I I teach at a university, and now a lot of the classes last year it was all online, and this year still m most of the classes are online. Um, and I'm on Google Classroom, and I'm I'm like feeding the computer all this stuff. I'm feeding Google's AI system all this stuff. So helping to make the entire profession of teaching to be obsolete, a human, like in terms of humans, you know, like a, the AI is is going to replace teachers because we're over the last couple of years now. It's our year and a half. It's like a We've just been building up the AI to replace us, um, and that's happening. That's happening across the board, every profession, like even, even, even doctors. You know, like what does a doctor do? Like you go into a doctor's office, and the doctor just goes through, uh, goes through a web page basically, and checks off your symptoms, and then he afterwards he he makes a an assumption of what ailment you might have, and then prescribes. Uh, drugs for you you know it's like a computer can do that <laughs> you know <laughs> like everything everything is going to go towards the ai lawyers the same thing you know like they just look through a case um see what laws apply and then uh, proceed from there you know um, mm -hmm. yep it's the great um challenge of our age so i think there's something magical though that happens when you're like we're putting sentences together or that creative act that mm -hmm. I, I don't i think that that is something we just have to try to engage in that energetic as much as possible because i don't think the ai i mean they've got like they can they can mimic it somehow but even the AI art that i've seen you've got to have human curators or human editors to kind of tweak it to make it 
human to give it that sheen of humanity. Um, but I don't think they can quite, you know, we're the ultimate gods. That's what I think, Doug. And I think that it's this is the war. It's like trying to, to celebrate ourselves and, and then exert our powers against mm-hmm. the backdrop of the of the machines trying to to um, steal our attention and steal that energy to st- back to st- and suck it out back into their models you know it really does become like a matrix style i'm just talking about like attention here as the great currency it's like i i mean i wake up i woke up this morning i was in bed for like way too long just scrolling through my fucking feeds and i could have been writing if i every day spent half of that time just writing nonstop. I mean, I would have stacks of books written, you know, <laughs> so I feel bad about it. Actually, I feel really sad. Um, the wasted, maybe this goes back to the book, you know, it's like wasted time. Mm-hmm. It's, a hu- mm-hmm. it's a huge theme there. And I feel hopeful when I, when I heard those lines in the movie, but you know, when I'm, when I'm adding up the, the uh, score every day, shit, it's hard to be hopeful sometimes. Fuck. <laughs> Man. But the other, yeah, the other thing on top of that is, uh, is travel, you know, to get back to the book, it's like, uh, um, in that particular form of travel, which they're talking about in the book, it's not, like you said, actually, like not having a plan, you know, like just going out. Um, and it, it, it's not even, you don't, you don't even have to travel to another country to travel in that sort of way. Um, there's a, there's a passage in the book, I think it's Port, Port's thought about how, every day um taking a walk you know like just taking a walk through the countryside is um very similar to the the passage through your own life and the problem is when you when you take a walk is you don't pay attention to the details you know um and this is something that gets repeated all the time through all these different writers you know like like kurt vonnegut especially he kept repeating that line pay attention to the details you know but uh but it's all over the place. Like uh, Joyce talks about it, Pound talks about it. Like uh, uh, it, it, it's it's everywhere. You know, pay attention to the details. Um, and then uh, so that travel like that, you know, through through your day. And his his thing was every day is a unique thing that uh, that will end. You know, it's a it's a unique jewel basically that uh, it's going to pass. And if you don't appreciate it. Um, you've lost something like you've lost something big. Uh, I don't know that that's why I think the, this book is ultimately hopeful, like that, that kind of message. Well, and and to maybe think about the social media, like I do think that can be part of the artist, like Instagram. I'm just going to throw that out there. I do find Instagram to be in a way you capture some of that because even if you're like posting on it it's like you i go for walks a lot it's like oh let me snap that let me let me make a photograph of that you know so there's a kind of looking for things that i think maybe that part of social media of sharing because we're, we're almost all producing art every time we post something online like even twitter it's writing that's a form of writing and and visual um posts on instagram that is a visual art artistry you know and so Maybe I'll leave it kind of positive that, that, that there's ways to kind of bring the art spirit, let's say, into this digitization and this digital world and not be and, and to use it um, actively, you know, you know, as opposed to being like a passive um, carcass that's being fed on, you know, so. Definitely. They did the hear here to that, you know, like that's I, I think that's the key, you know, it's like 
But it, that was McKenna's vision too of turning on the internet, it, his idea of the AI, this, this sort of positive view of the the AI is is everything turning on as as art together at once, you know. Um, yeah, and memes. I mean, he's the uh, the guy that was he. I think codified the the idea of a meme with combining it with internet and technologies what is it the smallest root of an idea is a meme and that's the great mm -hmm. power that's the new currency mm. so i think meme magic like in keckism it's almost like i mean that's certainly you find it in mckenna the roots of it um, i was listening to a bunch of mckenna so i'll go through phases i'll just throw on lectures it calms me down i just love it it's so calming and recently <laughs> this is like in the last couple of weeks and um, i was thinking this exact thing I was like shit if he knew what the internet became I don't, he would be rolling over in his grave. That, that's what I, that's, that, that would, that's at least my sense from hearing him talk about it. It's the first Art Bell interview, if people want to find that. Um, but isn't this describing... the natural progression? Like if, if you're feeling negative, like if everything that they're railing against in, you know, 1949, you know, if you just look, everything has just progressed and it's all the same. It's just, you know, better delivery vehicles for the superficiality. Yeah, I tend mm -hmm. to agree with you. I would tend to agree with you. The struggle is the same, and that, but the corollary is the promise is the same too, right? The ability to step out of that and produce things to value, we can still do it now too. So that's part of the continuous chain in my view as well. Yeah, me too, I think. I think that's a good point. Is like the, those things always rise together. Um, the the more uh, the more dystopic things are, the more hopeful things are in a different way. Yeah, yeah I read Dick, by the way, too. That's the other thing I've been reading. I read uh, um, what's the the Divine Invasion, mm. and the thing about Dick's writing that I love so much is it. I hadn't read that before. And I was like, this is fucking, this is how he ended the book. It's like, it's so unpredictable with him. You never know what he's going to do with the characters or what's going to happen or how it's going to end. And um, I, don't, I, I just bring that up because I do think that there is um, a sense of that. We can kind of just, there's still that unpredictability, like as yeah, much as, yeah, as yeah. omnipresent or as monolithic as the net seems, you know, what if that's going to go away? That will evolve like you're saying, Doug. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, or how this stuff is going to evolve at some level. So. Well, yeah, it's it's just like almost on every level, like you, like like USJ, you're going to go out and have a walk in the town. Who knows where you're end up? You know, like the whole the whole thing is open, um, which oh. is excellent. This is it's it's amazing. It's like that for everybody. Uh, ultimately, yeah. Yeah, no matter where you are, you know, and, and yeah, and it's, travel. It's like we just we just forget that, you know. Like there's so much, uh, like like you're saying, there's so much distraction and superficiality that out there, and it all seems controlled. Um, but but really, it's it's just it's it's a thin veneer still, you know. It gets Absolutely. like I I know it gets trickier with with the vaccines and everything else, you know. But uh, um, but if but there's a way. That just setting all that aside, like we know there's power structure, whatever, but they can never, this has always been my big point. I mean, the, the, the human spirit, our ability to kind of in any given moment, I mean, I could just say, bye guys right now, hang up, 
and just start walking down the street. I've never walked down ever since I've been here and keep walking for three or four hours. I've been, by the way, I'm going to do that. That was inspiring in the book because he's like, I'm just going to keep walking to the edge of town. (laughs) What a way to go. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going out to the edge of town. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, so that that's yeah. I'm in full agreement there with with that spirit as a as a as a no matter how much control there is. I guess if you're locked in a prison cell, but we're not. You know, most people aren't. Um, yeah. But even then, like you could, it's like the freedom within the prison cell. Like writers are writing novels still in prison. You know, essays. I mean, all that stuff. So um, I just got I just got like on that on that note. I just got some. Uh... The Star Rover by Jack London. Do you guys know this? Oh, um, um, it's a very bizarre book. I haven't read it yet, and but I've I've been wanting to get it for years now. But it's like a, um, it's about a prison. Uh, yeah, about a prison. A guy, a prisoner in a maximum security prison, like a kind of Alcatraz situation, old style Alcatraz, and. It's almost I, I don't know I haven't read it yet but it's it's like he's being tortured or something by by the prison guards and then he goes off into space in his mind and explores past lives and has all these incredible trips um, in that way and it, and it's almost like this was written before 1984 but it reminds me of the scene in 1984 where um, Winston Smith is being tortured by the authorities and they ask him questions like, do you believe in God, Winston? And Winston was being brought up in an atheistic society and so he says, no, I can't, I, I don't have any sense of God. And that because of that, they're able to get at him, you know, like, who do you believe in? Your your friends betrayed you. You can't believe if you, uh, even your own body. Look at it. It's it, we've mangled it. We've got full control of your physical form. Like, what is there for you? There's nothing, you know, and that 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 was. That's the absolute heart of darkness, whereas it seems like in this book, Jack London, he's he's already got beyond that. He's he's free to spirit in a way. Um, like you were saying, like even even within a prison, it's possible. Yeah, and this is thematically maybe to 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 kick it back to sh- the body as the shelter, and then the repose when you kind of escape the body. Uh, maybe we're connecting some themes here with with um, this idea of a prison. The prison of the body is the ultimate prison, you know. And and but within that, we're able to do so much while we're here before we go home, let's say, <laughs> if you buy that, I kind of like that metaphor, but, mm. um, all right, well, I'm going to have to transition here too. thank guys. I've got a, just got a bunch of stuff I want to get done today. And, um, uh, let me just say bye to you and, and thank you again. And, um, thanks for staying up, Doug. And, and nice you to bet. hear you, Norm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, cool. hopefully we all could get to get together again. Hopefully we can get Dennis back. I miss him. Yeah, I'll message him. I'll, uh, mess, uh, you know, if if there is another one, and I can't commit to that even, but you know, at some point we'll get together again, and I and I can reach out to Dennis if that if, that if goes. there's a book that you're hankering for. Well, so I'll shoot out an email, and and if there's a book you're hankering for, put it on there and. So we were, Dennis wanted to read that Oakley Hall for so long, and then we're like, hey, let's read Oakley Hall. <laughs> he, he wouldn't bite. 
I'd say movies, like I said, I know we were doing like the movie version of this, but that is a way where I'm, it's much easier for me to feel like I can commit because, um, yeah. so maybe if there's something with an adapt, another, uh, adapt, adapted film, you know, I can definitely hit the film and then kind of get the book and, and, and find my way through some of it and, and show up again, like I was able to hear. But, um, so just to throw that, just to throw that. All right, Thank sounds good. We're going to keep talking. I'm going to go to bed. All right. Okay. Good night. Yeah, okay. Okay. Good, good night, everyone. Thank you.